Well, I'm really thankful to have that time of worship together, and I'm also really excited about this next part of our service. But before we move into this, I just want to make sure that you're all aware of our Sunday evening gatherings. Um, they are on Zoom starting at 6 p.m., and uh, this isn't a duplicate of our online service. This is actually more of a, I guess, an intimate and low-key time together where we pray together and we share and take more time to worship. And actually, tonight we're going to be having communion. So I want to invite all of you, feel free to come. Um, you can find the link um, on our website. And uh, just, yeah, want to invite you to come to that. Um, now, if you've been watching with us, you know that we are finishing up our grief series, actually. We're on week three of our mini-series that we've called Better Together, Exploring Hope in Loss. And um, our first week, we talked about how, you know what, it's good to be honest that right now we're in a very difficult time. I don't have to tell you that. And we talked about how, for all of us, there has been lots of loss that we've gone through and significant loss. And that means that we are all most likely grieving even now. And so we talked about the first week how important it is to acknowledge that, to acknowledge our loss and to express the pain, to give ourselves permission to do that because that is just such a key thing to the grieving process. And we talked about how we need to lean into each other and invite God into that process. The second week, we talked about God's gift of lament, which really is teaching us and, and guiding us into involving God in our grieving, in our mourning. And within that, we, um, we just talked about how uh, that's such a gift for us. And how if over time, if we practice lament and, and kind of pray through the psalms of lament using them as our guide, that can shape us and help us to, to learn to find God because he's always with us even in the tough times and to then be able to even worship in times of loss. Well, this week, I am very excited that we have Brenda Haggett with us. She is the spiritual coordinator at the Brockville General Hospital and she's also a grief counselor. And our very own Heather is going to be, um, our very own Pastor Heather is going to be interviewing her. And we're going to be learning from her a bit more about grief. And also how we as a community can support each other during times of grief and times of loss. So I want to hand it over to them now. Good morning, everyone, and I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning, and I am so thankful to be sitting here with Brenda Haggett, and uh, what a privilege we have this morning to glean from Brenda. I have personally gleaned from Brenda's wisdom and her knowledge, and just love this woman's heart, so welcome, Brenda, to the pier. We are so glad that you are joining us this morning. Thank you, Heather. It's good to be here with you. Yeah. So Brenda, you are uh, the spiritual care provider um, at the hospital. So why don't you just start off this morning just telling us a little bit about who you are and uh, what your role, what your current role is um, as a grief counselor. Sure. So to give to back up the truck just a little bit, um, I came into spiritual care at the hospital about nine years ago. And prior to that, I was a senior minister in a church. So I am an ordained minister, but you know, 
calling me Brenda is what I respond really well to. Um, in the hospital setting, uh, when people are ill, when people are dying, they often are looking for some sort of spiritual companionship. And sometimes that means they're looking for a return to faith. Sometimes it just means they're looking for comfort around big questions that often arise at the end of life. So I do that work. I'm also embedded into the palliative care team where I work directly with our palliative care clients in the community as well as in the hospital. And um, in that role, I also provide psychotherapy because I'm a registered psychotherapist. And um, part of the additional education that I chose to get was around grief, death and dying. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot of um, counseling um, through the hospital for people who come to us um, from the community who've had a tragedy, who've maybe had um, a suicide death, a tragic loss, maybe to um, an overdose. And we've seen a lot of that over the last couple of years. It seems to be um, almost on a daily basis. We're seeing people that way. And uh, people who are just really struggling with their, with their grief experience. So I do a lot of um, traumatic grief and uh, a lot of just regular normal grief. And we can talk about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So this is perfect that we're having this conversation this morning, because as you know, um, we are going through this series together entitled Better Together, um, Embracing Hope Through Loss. So Brenda, in your experience, if there were three, three key things that you would want everyone to know um, about grief, what would those three things be? And if I, Heather, am wanting to come alongside and support someone um, in a time of loss, um, what would your advice be to me? So maybe I'll start with the three things. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I think about that, that's a huge question, first of all. And to narrow it down to only three is, is really challenging. But I think one of the most common questions that I get um, from people who come to see me is they're worried that what they're experiencing might not be normal. And so one of the things that I always try to do a little bit of um, psychoeducation around is the fact that grief is a whole body, mind, spirit experience. You cannot experience grief without it impacting your nervous system of your body. You cannot have grief experiences without it affecting your, your ability to think clearly. Um, and you, you can't have a grief experience without the emotional drain that it takes on the on the on the psyche as well um, so it's a whole body mind experience and I think the second thing that I would want people to know is that um, grief is something that cannot have closure to contrary to popular um, opinion we often hear people talking about I just need some closure mm. and the reality is is that grief will journey with people the rest of their lives and um, when we talk about closure, the, the image that you get is that a door has shut as if grief will not be experienced ever again. Mm -hmm. And by and large, that is simply not true. People will experience the, their losses again, especially if you have another death um, within a short period of time. All of that grief is going to collect and, and will build and kind of layer on, on itself. Um, I, I have met individuals who have had you know, they, when they come to see me about a current loss, the next thing I know, we're talking about the death that happened 20 years ago. Mm. And all of that grief is upsurging within them and they're re-experiencing the pain of all of their losses. And so that's, I think, a really important one for people to understand is that 
you will journey with whatever grief you have experienced. You will journey with it in some way the rest of your life. You won't, you won't journey with it the same way that you did when it first happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you learn how to live with your loss, you know, when anniversary dates come, when birth dates come, even the seasons when they change will often be that reminder to the person that my person that I loved isn't here anymore. They're not experiencing the things that I am. They're not seeing, you know, the high school graduation or they're not seeing the wedding or they're not seeing the birth of the first grandchild or the list can go on and on. And I think when I think about another big thing um, about grief, I think I would want people to realize that grief is a human experience and that even our Lord and Savior Jesus experienced grief as he journeyed on this earth. Um, We have that very profound shortest verse in the Bible that says Jesus wept and weeping is a sign of grief. It's an experience of grief. And when Jesus learned of the death of his friend, Lazarus, And all that that encompasses, and we could go deep into the theology of that, but I think if we look at it for a moment, just from the human lens perspective, Jesus wept with his friends because that was the right thing to do. He didn't offer a platitude in that moment. He didn't offer some spiritual comfort in that moment. He joined them in their experience. We are are told, weep with those who weep. And Jesus gave us that wonderful example. And so I think that's something that I would want people to realize is that um, in grieving, we need to do what the other people are doing. We need to experience it with them. Mm. And if I can just add a little aside, um, I had a very, very close friend just die on, on Monday this week. And he's a lifelong friend. I've known him since I was a little girl. And um, he died in an ICU in another city where his family couldn't be with him for the week leading up to his death. And they were only allowed in for the last couple of hours of his life. And I wept. I wept openly and bitterly at the news of his his death because this person touched my heart. And when our hearts have been impacted, we're going to feel something. And when we feel our grief as Christians, especially, We cannot expect that our spiritual faith is going to override that human experience. Mm. That's interesting, Brenda. Yeah. Yeah. We'll touch maybe touch base on that a little bit more. I've seen it too often in career that um, when people are grieving as Christians, they think they need to get away from it quickly somehow. They think that they should not be as sad as they are because they have faith in God. And yet the reality is, is that what, however long your night of grief is, and your night of grief might be months and months long, though weeping may endure for the night, mm-hmm. joy does come in the morning. But sometimes for people who are in their grief, the morning does not come for many, many, many months. And I think we need to honor that as because this is a human experience. Yeah. So as somebody who's walking with someone who is experiencing that loss and grieving, what would you, what would you say to that person? Just as, well, I guess as you experienced just this week, just being. So when when I think about um, how to 
journey with someone, I think about the beautiful world word called companioning. And it's something that Alan Wolfelt, who's a wonderful author and does a lot of work in, in the grief world. Um, I think that's something that we need. We need to come alongside someone and give them permission to have the experience that they are having in that moment. We need to, as Christians especially, be able to open up and hold what I call sacred space mm -hmm. for that person to be the complete human that they are in that moment. And we need only to look into the book of Psalms to see that every emotional experience that belongs to the human world was experienced and God allowed that to become part of his holy word, part of the worship manual, if, it, if you want to call it that, for the Hebrew people. And in it, we have expressions of joy, but we have a lot more expressions of sorrow and lamenting. Yeah. And I think that that is a concept that has been lost in our modern world. Uh, we don't give people time and permission to lament. Um, in our culture, your work will say you get three to four days off to grieve a significant death. You get one to grieve what they refer to as a less significant death. Mm -hmm. And then you're supposed to go back and you're supposed to re-engage with 100% of yourself into the job that you were doing prior to the person's death. Nobody can do that. So when we want a companion and come alongside someone who's grieving, we need to give them the full permission to weep if that's what they're doing. And we need to let them be angry if that's how they're feeling in that moment. Oftentimes, um, I find that Christians want to spiritualize anger. And they think that somehow anger is wrong. Is not wrong. Why wouldn't you be angry if a drug overdose took your child? Mm. Why wouldn't you be? Mm -hmm. It's important to kind of feel that, isn't it? And I think that when we're companioning someone, we, we need to give them the space and the time that they need to experience what they're experiencing without trying to brush it away or push it off. And this is where um, I find a lot of damage happens when yeah. people come alongside. So I'm going to lean into just a, an example, not a current example, but an example from about 20 years ago when my husband's father died very suddenly. And he died in the basement of their church, putting on his toe rubber boots on a snowy morning um, in the month of March. And when people were coming through the receiving line at the wake, countless numbers of people said to my husband, what a wonderful place for your father to die. Now, my husband is a very meek, very gentle. Oh, I wish you could know him. He's a very gentle soul. There is not a violent bone in that man's body anywhere. He turned to me at one point and he said, Brenda, if one more person says that to me, I'm afraid that my fist is going to come up and hurt somebody. Mm. Why was that? Because he wasn't being given permission to feel what he was feeling. Mm. And the lovely people around him were trying to push that away too quickly. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that happens with grieving individuals. They feel that everyone around them wants them to stop being sad. And while that's true, the message that the grieving person gets is that they can't handle how I feel. Mm -hmm. And because there's so much isolation in grief, people need someone to come alongside them who's going to give them that space to grieve.
the way they need to without trying to spiritualize it away because it needs to be experienced. Do you think that there's something to be said about that sacred space and allowing silence in that space? Sometimes we think we have to fill it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think sometimes the best gift that you can give a grieving person is to just sit with them and be present to them. And that's holding open sacred space for them to, to say all that they need to say, to, to blubber it out, to, and, and that doesn't mean that it's over when they do that. It just means that's what they needed in that moment. And we give people a precious gift when we can sit with them in silence and not try to say, but, or at least, yeah. you know, because when we do that, we're basically erasing the um, importance and we're, we're somehow minimizing the validity of the pain that they're experiencing. Yeah. 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 No, that's good, Brenda. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I, I know that there, throughout this global pandemic, so many people have lost um, not only like loved ones uh, through death, but they've lost in other areas as well. Um, so many rites of passage, you know, we've talked about the ways in which we, we've, grandparents have lost time with their grandchildren. Um, all of, there's so many ways that we have lost during, we have experienced loss during this pandemic. Um, what, what have you found that people are, um, in your experience throughout this pandemic, what have you felt uh, or what have you experienced that people um, are really grieving during this time? Well, if we can stick with the theme of death just for a moment, I think one of the things that people are missing is the, their normal cultural experiences around loss. Mm-hmm. Not being able to have the funeral the way they might have wanted mm-hmm. to have it. Um, people not being able to come and be and spend those last hours with their loved one. Um, to be present at the death. I've been present to the death of my mother and my father, as well as my mother-in-law. And it's a beautiful and precious gift to be with someone in that sacred moment when their last breath is taken. And we know that as believers, if they know the Lord, that their first breath is being taken in heaven. Mm. And, um, but even that, um, the, the cultural aspects around loss, you know, we're so used to having our two or three day time where we, we, we do the big wake, we gather as families, we look through the photo albums, we tell the stories, and then we go and we allow other people to come to us and hold us and love on us a little bit, share food with us, mm-hmm. and tell us their stories of our loved one. And there's a lot of healing that happens in that cultural experience. And I think that's one of the biggest things that people are missing right now is they're in a holding pattern, if you will. I know people whose loved ones died last year and they still have not had a funeral for them. Mm. And they are in a holding pattern. And when I speak with them, their grief is still very, very raw as if it just happened. So we can't ignore the, um, the healing that comes through our normal cultural rituals that we engage in around death and loss. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that in the pandemic, for those who have experienced loss, the biggest enemy um, for anybody who's experiencing grief is isolation. Mm-hmm. And most people are experiencing a lot of isolation. They're not able to be with their loved ones. Mm-hmm. And we're being told, don't hug. Well, we're designed to be in relationship. Yeah. It's the one thing, you know, when we think about the Garden of Eden and we think about the creation story, 
God looked at everything and said it was good except for one thing. Yeah, yeah. And the one thing he said wasn't good was that it's not good for man, mankind to be alone. And so he created that helping person, that, that person to come alongside and to be a partner with. And that tells us something about what we need right now. Mm-hmm. People are suffering because they're in isolation. Mm-hmm. And we, can't, we cannot dismiss the amount of mental health that that is um, creating for people. A lot of people, it's really impacting them at a very, very deep level. And when people are in isolation for too long from grief, then you've got this window that starts to open now towards possibly depression because depression and isolation are each other's best friend. Mm. And so I think that's one of the biggest things that people are missing right now, human connection. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And can you talk to us a little bit about the relationship between the emotional aspect of grief and the spiritual aspect of grief and how how that relates? I'll touch on that a little bit. And I think that what happens is that when we think about emotional experiences, people are going to be all over the map emotionally. Sometimes they're going to feel oh, I'm so glad that they're not in pain anymore, especially if this person is dying of cancer or some other long illness. But then there are times they're going to say, I wish they were here. I wish they were still with me because I miss them so much. Their emotions are going to go all over the place. And anger is part of that. And um, to kind of lean back into maybe one of those three things, because, you know, I don't have just three things that I think people should know. about. I have a really long list of probably 3000 things that I think people should know about grief. But um, there's this myth out there that says that grief is linear, that it begins with that profound moment of shock. And then it moves into denial and then it moves into um, anger and then it moves into bargaining and then it moves into acceptance. And so, you know, in, in honor of um, the, the woman who wrote the book, um, Kubler-Ross, um, she never intended for people to take that as a liter- literal linear process. And so if we think about that, we have to recognize that people are going to sometimes be very accepting that their loved one has died, because they're okay with the fact that they are no longer in pain, they're not having to deal with medications or treatments or whatever was going on. But then at other times, they're going to go right back into the questioning at the beginning and saying, did that really happen? Is my loved one really dead? That can't be true. Because I need them. I, I need my husband today because it snowed out and I don't know how to start the um, snowblower, right? Mm-hmm. People are going to go through all kinds of emotional experiences. And the spiritual experience of grief is exactly what we see in the story of Lazarus, mm-hmm. where Lazarus's two sisters mm-hmm. are saying to Jesus, if you had been here, yeah. This wouldn't have happened, right? Yeah. And that's our question too, isn't it? Sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we're saying, where were you, God? Why didn't you prevent this? Why didn't you stop my child from overdosing? Why didn't you stop my child from killing themselves? Why didn't you? Where were you? Because if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Those who then come alongside that person who's grieving are, are, are listening to this and they're not comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. They're not comfortable with that expression. They're not comfortable with sitting with somebody who's angry at God. And if we're going to truly companion someone, we have to give them the space and the time they need to process that anger. Mm-hmm. 
we do have the book of Psalms and I'm gonna lean back into that because I think that's so important. The Psalms sometimes end without the resolution of joy, without the resolution of turning back to praise. They're picked up again later, but in that moment, they're not. And so I think we have to be careful um, with spirit, super spiritualizing and that I, because, it, because it's dangerous to the grieving person. Because if we come in with that immediately, and that's not where they are, and they're not quite ready to hear maybe what needs to be said, they're going to dismiss us as someone who can help them. When my parents died five weeks apart, four years ago, um, we had people and I had lovely, lovely people come to me and say, isn't it wonderful, Brenda, that your mother is with your dad? And I looked at them and said, no, actually, it's not. I needed my mom here to help me grieve my dad's death. Mm. So people immediately jump to think about the joy that they're experiencing in heaven. And while that is a beautiful, wonderful concept for us as believers, if that's not where we are in that moment, we can maybe do a little harm to people yeah. if we're dismissing something that they need to go through and people need to experience their grief. When you were speaking, I was thinking of Job and his friends. Mm -hmm. I've had a few of Job's friends be present to me as well. Yeah. 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 Um, so as a, as a church, you know, we have, we have spent the last couple of weeks just talking about the importance of, as I said, like how we are better together and, and how we need to acknowledge our losses, how we mm -hmm. need to allow ourselves and allow others to experience, um, the pain mm -hmm. and invite God into that, just like the lament, mm -hmm. like the psalmists do invite God into that, um, invite each other into that, um, in your, you know, professional opinion, Brenda, how can we, as a Jesus centered community, um, continue to create, um, just this sense of, um, togetherness um, during this time and during times of loss what are some other practices that you would recommend that we that we can incorporate and live out so I guess the first thing in answering that question Heather would be to encourage your church family to be careful of the words that they use mm. okay and Leaning back into those stories that I just told you, there's evidence there that people were using the wrong words. Mm -hmm. Their words were maybe coming from a place of, I want to bring comfort to you. But instead, how the words were received is, I can't handle how you feel right now, so you need to feel differently so I can feel better. Mm -hmm. so we need to watch our language around grieving people. And I think we need to create space for people to lament. Because we're going to be lamenting, I think, the losses of this pandemic for a very long time to come. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, too often in our church circles, we immediately want people to be um, praising and, and, you know, talking um, in joy-filled language. And yet lament is just as biblical as mm -hmm. praise. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's the more authentic way of being with God. I think that if we are going to be honest about these kind of things, we have to recognize that if I am putting on a facade to make you feel better, 
that's not helping me and it's also not helping you. Mm-hmm. If I'm putting on the face mask that says, you know, with a happy face and that says, yay, you know, it's so great to be at church this morning and we're worshiping together. And, oh, I just love that, that song, you know, um, and I can't think of the one that I was going to say at the moment, but um, I did have a song in my mind um, and it's literally gone out the door. <laughs> That's okay. It happens to me all the time. Because <laughs> it's been a while since we've sung it um, as a church body. But I think we need to have the more authentic, even in my darkness, yet will I praise you. That's a more honest statement, is it not? Mm-hmm. And as a church body, giving each other permission to have the human experience of grief around all of these losses mm-hmm. is, I think, extremely important. Giving that space to lament and to mourn. You know, some cultures in our world, um, and we used to do this here in Canada like 100 years ago, it was very common for people to wear a black armband, signifying to the rest of the world, please be gentle with me, I've just lost somebody. I'm a grieving person. And we don't do that in our culture now. There are cultures around the world that say, you know, you wear a certain style of clothing for a year that, that denotes that you are a grieving individual. You wear dark colors, you wear black. We don't do that. So there's nothing to signify to the rest of the world as I walk through the streets that I'm a grieving person unless I trust someone enough to bring them into my intimate circle and say, um, I, I'm grieving. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be my best self because I'm grieving. Mm-hmm. I'm going to maybe not I mean, this is so common when people are grieving, they do not have access to their frontal lobe the way they normally would. They don't have the cognitive capacity to think clearly. They're muddy and they're cloudy and their emotions are going to be the same because it is a fully human experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you said that, I, I, you know, I was thinking when you said, please be gentle with me, Mm -hmm. how often have I, you know, I, I can't recall anyone ever saying that to me. And I don't recall ever being, um, ha- having said that to someone else, but what a, what a powerful, what a powerful statement, like, mm-hmm. please be gentle with me and, and what that could do, even in a conversation that's. There's a, there's a, an analogy that I often will use with my clients. And I will remind them, especially when they start saying, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. And they've got all these shoulds that are running around and and kind of governing their life. I'll say to them, you know, I want you to step back for a moment and think about what's happened to you. The word bereavement has embedded into it the word bereft. And the word bereft actually means a tearing apart. So if you can kind of imagine for a moment that my hands represent one full piece of cloth and bereavement rips the cloth. Mm. Now the cloth can be repaired, but the cloth is never going to be quite as strong in that place where it's been ripped, is it? Mm-hmm. The other analogy that I will often use with my clients is, imagine for yourself how different things would be if instead of this grief experience inside of you, if you had fallen off of a mountain and broken every single bone in your body and you were in a full body cast, how would people be treating you? Would, be they, would they be treating you differently? Would you be treating yourself differently? Would you have different expectations of yourself? 
Mm. And the reality is, is yes, we would. We wouldn't be expected to jump right back in with 100% to the life that we were living just prior to the death. Mm-hmm. Be gentle with those who are grieving. Yeah. Do not expect them to work through their grief um, without going through some of the very deep, dark, shadowy places where they might experience anger and that anger might be directed at God. My experience is, is that God is big enough to handle that. He loves us enough that he can hold us through our dark night of the soul. And that's often what happens for people who are grieving is they go into this deep, dark place and it's scary there. Mm-hmm. It's lonely there. It's isolating there. Mm-hmm. And we need people to come alongside us during those seasons of our lives and be gentle with us. Mm-hmm. Can you just briefly, before we wrap up here, Brenda, can you just briefly talk to me about the word hope? Mm-hmm. In the midst of- I, yeah, I think that it's important that we always hold out hope. And hope is one of those, it's, it's that beautiful word. And I've often kind of put little acronyms around um, the word. And the one that I often will return to is hold on, pain ends. Mm-hmm. Hold on, pain ends. But when we are grieving, sometimes our hope is shattered a little bit. Yeah. Our hope in a just world our hope in a just God, our hope, right, that maybe our loved one who was exhibiting signs of maybe not walking with God, that maybe somehow deep inside of them, they still were in connection with God. Mm -hmm. And so hope is important. And I lean back into a story that happened probably about 30 years ago. I remember standing in a um, lineup at a uh, heading into the cafeteria at a church camp. And I had met this woman before and I turned around and realized I hadn't seen her in a very long time. I said, oh my goodness. And we spoke for three minutes. And I said, you look so heavy, what's happened? And tears began to flow down her cheeks. And she in that lineup shared with me that her son had completed suicide the year before. And together we just, we wept. We wept in that moment. And as she was sharing with me her pain, she said, my hope is that even in his dying moment, he turned to God. Mm. The sad thing is people had told her that because he had completed suicide, he wasn't in heaven. Mm. And that's not our place. We are not the final judge and jury. We do serve a God who is just. We serve a God who is love. And, you know, we have those words in the New Testament that tell us God is love. And when we hold out hope to people, we we remind them that God is love. Mm -hmm. And we don't make the final conclusions because that's not up to us to make. Mm -hmm. But we can offer them and remind them that, you know, there's this beautiful concept in scripture where God is beyond time. He's not limited by time. God is not limited to, you know, because for him, and a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So that tells us time means literally nothing in God's um, experience of the vast domain of the vast, whatever it is, you know, because it isn't even the universe. It's beyond that. So in that moment, I think we can share with people that God is not limited by time yeah. and that who knows, maybe in those dying moments, time opened up for that individual to turn to Christ. Yeah to be their hope 
to be their peace, their final destination. It's beautiful. Thank you so much, Brenda, for, for coming and speaking with us and just, um, and just speaking this truth and such wisdom with such grace and gentleness to us. Uh, I just really appreciate you. And if I could ask one more thing of you, I'm just wondering if you could pray for us as a, as a church and as we, um, our desire is to, to share the love of Jesus in this community. So, if, and, and during these times of grief and loss that so many are experiencing, if you could pray for us, that we would just be so honored by that. Thank you. And I would be honored to do that. Thank you. Loving God, we thank you that you are everything that you say you are, that you are our hope, that you are our peace, that you are ultimately love. God, as we've spoken today about these really painful things that humans have to go through, we know that you also experienced that pain in that moment when your son, when you had to turn your face away from what was happening because it hurt so much to watch your son die on the cross of Calvary. Thank you that you went through all of our human experiences when you were here, Christ. That you endured all things in their humanness so that you would be able to be our source of hope and strength and peace when we are going through our human experiences. So God, today I pray for the Peer Church. I pray for them, Lord, today that as they are asking to figure out how to be better together, that something that what have, uh, from what has been said today would inspire their spirit to maybe change a little bit, to be more open, to be more tender with those who are in deep sorrow. Mm -hmm. Grant them as well, God, your wisdom as they look for ways to be your hands and feet in the community of Brockville. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray these things with gratitude. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Brenda, thank you so much. You are such a gift. You are a gift to our community and you've been a gift to us this morning. So thank you so much. Oh, you are very welcome, Heather. It's lovely to see you. I can't wait till I can see you again in person. I know, me too. <laughs> a really big warm hug. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Thanks, Brenda. Take care. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. I want to thank Brenda again. That was simply amazing. It was so wonderful to hear her. And I found myself, as I was listening, tearing up at a lot of points as I heard her beautiful stories and just the very powerful ideas, especially that idea of companioning. So I just want to thank her again for those words of wisdom and words of advice. And I hope that we that you might play that again and again to, to learn from it because there was just so much there. So again, we're at the end of our series, and I just want to leave us with a brief thought to wrap up our series. If you remember, we started our series with the, the story of Ruth and Naomi found in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. We saw how their story started out with significant loss. But the thing is, if you read through to the end, it moves towards restoration to hope and to transformation. And you know what? There's a turning point in the story, actually. It comes in in chapter 2, 
And there we read that Ruth decides. So the, they, they have gone back to, um, to Israel, and uh, Ruth decides that she's going to go out and try and help out. She's going to go to a field, and she's going to collect. She's going to glean and collect the grain that's been left over by the harvesters. And this was actually a practice that was permitted and even protected by Israelite law. So she goes and she meets uh, a man named Boaz who becomes a big character in the story. He would later become her husband. But there we see that he really takes her under his wing. He's got great compassion for her. And he makes sure that she's well provided for. Now Ruth goes back home to Naomi and shows her what's happened. And here's what Naomi says. Where did you gather all this grain today? Where did, where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. If we look at the story from Naomi's perspective, this story, her story, hits this turning point because of the support of God and the support of others. Um, And that's so important for us to recognize, I think, as we're finishing this series. Ruth stuck alongside Naomi through thick and thin, and this turning point really happens because she continues to support by even going out to work and to find food for them. And Boaz goes above and beyond to help Ruth and Naomi. And all the while, we can see God working behind the scenes and bringing hope and guiding them and helping them through the whole process. You know what? It's my prayer that we can learn from, <laughs> from this story and, and kind of learn from, from this series that, that we need each other and we need God at all times, especially in times of loss, especially during this pandemic when all of us are going through so much loss. It's my prayer that we could be um, the type of community where about us people would say, you know, may the Lord bless the one who helped you, <laughs> that they could speak us about us that way. If we put it into Brenda's words, I pray that we would learn to companion with each other during times of loss, really patiently walking alongside supporting each other. And I also pray that we would look to God, that we would look to God for our guidance, for our provision and hope, and that through his working in our lives, that even through times of loss, we might experience hope and restoration and transformation. So God bless. It's been a pleasure going through this series with you.